You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hello, I'm Mirella Amato. Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. This season, we examine the impact COVID has had on every aspect of our food system, all the way from farm to table. We'll look at how things have changed and try to untangle what's going on behind the scenes so that we can strengthen our connection to our food. In this episode, reanimating chains and sabering champagne. We're talking restaurants. Hello, Joshna. Hi, Mirella. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. And you? Also good. Also good. Nice. What was the last thing you ate? The last thing that I ate, oh, <laughs> it was a bit of a mishmash snack from the fridge. So stay with me. I just pulled out a bunch of stuff and put it in a tortilla. So tortilla, hummus got spread down, and then okay. I had like leftover cabbage slaw. Uh, I had a little bit of smoked fish. I had some fresh, you know, a little bit of tomatoes, uh, and uh, I think some cucumber slices, and that all got thrown in, wrapped up. And that was a thing that I grabbed quickly uh, in between getting work done. That sounds good. When you say smoked fish, was that like from a tin or was it? No, it was like proper smoked fish and not like smoked salmon. That other, you know, the other way, like the um, smoked fish. Oh, no, it was actually smoky. Yes. Yeah. And firm. None of that oily ribbons business of smoked salmon. That's not my favorite thing at all. I'm, I'm feeling smoked fish with hummus. Oh, it's good. Uh, it was, yeah. it's, it's trout. It was lake trout with hummus. It was delicious. Wow. It was a good one. Uh, what did you have? I, What'd you have? I also did a bit of last minute throwing things together, although I don't clearly have the same, uh, exciting <laughs> fridges. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so I, I put together cheese and crackers, nice. which, uh, for me always involves bomba. I don't know if you're familiar with Bomba. Yes, of course, of course. The, it's like a spicy, spicy vegetable pickle type thing, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't really know how to describe it. It's almost more of a relish than a, I think of pickles as being chunkier. This is very spreadable. Oh, okay, um, so the vegetables are really broken down. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but you know, there's you know, with artichoke, uh, eggplant, peppers. peppers. Yes. Um. So I just have that on my cheese and crackers. So it's. Crackers, cheese, and the big dollop oh, of bomb oh, on top. That's delicious. Yeah, and then I just made myself a tomato cucumber salad on the side. We're eating uh, well and called that lunch. Yeah. I think so. Sometimes you know well. the the thrown together meals are the are the are the funnest ones, and they're super satisfying. Totally. Uh, I do love well, my this, it's a it's a nice little segue into our conversation. Um, this segment because uh, as everyone knows this season we're really focusing on the impact of covid and the pandemic on our food industry and it has been very varied and and complex and today we're doing it today we're talking restaurants uh and this is a big one right this impact has been mega uh and uh and it's uh it's something that i really am excited to kind of get into so let's start by talking about what happened uh, yeah. And what this was all about. Right. Because, I mean, uh, it, it's safe to say that the first thing that should be said about this is that uh, it's pretty it's been pretty devastating. Uh, right. Our industry is not in good shape. Right. They're all so many of our friends and colleagues 
are their livelihoods are hanging on the edge of a cliff. Many others, uh, the livelihoods have fallen right over. Uh, and restaurants have closed, uh, right? People have completely left the kitchen and have become real estate agents or moved out to the country and just stopped this life and started a new life for themselves. Uh, it's very, very clear. And and there's been a lot of loss, right? It's There's heaviness around this because there has been so much loss of beloved restaurants, of community, you know, those kinds of community connections. So it's, I think it's probably important to position this from the beginning is the fact that it's been a hard hit. Yeah. And not only, you know, you said a lot of closures and it's not only, you know, maybe new and struggling established, a lot of pretty well-established yes. uh, restaurants. I was, you know, just snooping around and didn't realize the golden tie on church. I know. Is gone. Yes. Both Southern Accent and Nolens. So yes. all, for, all their Southern comfort food or, you know, the classic yeah. ones gone. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, I, I think I've only ever been once, but I still, something about Crocodile Rock closing. It just <laughs> seemed. Well, <they've> always, <laughs> it's always been a bit of an institution there on the corner like that, It's always like been that, there. Right? Yes. That's, that's what it is. Uh, also, I was shocked. I didn't even realize that we had Nando's in Canada, but those are yes, all gone. Yes, we do. Um, Really? And then that's not even to mention all the tiny little establishments. And I was reading more than 400,000 jobs have been lost, according to Stats Oof. Canada in the restaurant industry. That represents two thirds of the jobs lost during COVID. That's and right. 45% of restaurants have reported they've been constantly losing money for more than a year. Right. This right. is intense. Because the industry is the largest single employer in the country. Right. It's like the hospitality industry employs the most people, right. uh, if not in the city, like it, definitely in the city. But I'm not sure about the rest of the country. Uh, but those are staggering numbers. Two thirds of the lost jobs have been the hospitality industry. It's it's mega. Right. And it's uh, this um, it's, it's not good. Right. And it, to me, as somebody who is as in it as I am, is it it is like evidence or a continuation of the fact that we don't take our food system and her <laughs> seriously enough. Right. We don't really. It's true. We, we're not right. We're really not paying attention to what's happening with these folks. I found very few articles about this. Yep. Um, it's not really a story that seems to be resonating with people. And I, I have to say that for myself, I also need to better understand because you I I, under, I understand that restaurants are struggling. I see that. It's very real. But you know, people in a lot of sectors are struggling. Mm -hmm. And I guess for me, you know, the, the missing piece is, you know, what is it about the restaurant industry that is especially compelling to you, apart from the fact that you're a part of it. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. I for me, one of the things that I think is really um important to remember um is the fact that the restaurant and the, the restaurant industry supports so many other industries, right? Because it's food and because it's, it's such a, such a uh, common denominator for people there, there's a lot of activity around that. So what does that actually mean? It means that a restaurant has a list of what, at least a dozen different suppliers 
other small businesses that they support by virtue of running their restaurants. So this is farmers and food and cheesemakers, but then there's the beverage, the wine, the beer makers, but then there's like the florists and the people who do the floor mats and the linen service and the knife sharpening and the grease trap cleaners. And right. There's all of these different industries involved in the operation of a restaurant. And when the restaurant falls, all of these other things fall as well. The point is, the point is, is that it works the other way around too. So if you want to actually support a community and reinvigorate and nurture a community, put the money in the restaurant because that automatically will send, you know what I mean? will send the money to this other network of smaller businesses. That is a great way to reanimate that entire chain. Um, and so one Something that has been really frustrating about this moment and the desperation of this moment is that all of the none of the subsidy or financial support has been targeted at the hospitality industry specifically. They have right. been left to sort of sit under the umbrella of small business. Uh, and so all the same and and look, we cannot affront the the effort because the those the subsidies that have come from the federal government have kept so many people's head above the water. Uh, right. And has kept doors from closing and people from filing bankruptcy or, you know, living a disastrous scenario. However, there's a whole campaign of folks in our industry, SaveHospitality.ca. We we spoke about it um, in season two uh, that has really not landed. Right. That have fallen on pretty deaf ears in terms of poli- the politicians and the the listening to the plea that has come from this industry for a specific uh, set of financial supports that address our, you know, the way we operate. All right, Marella, let's talk a little bit now about the pivots and the changes mm-hmm. and the, and because the pivot is, is the word of the pandemic. Um, and this definitely, we definitely saw this in our restaurant industry. Uh, it should yes. be noted though. I feel like it's important uh, to connect from that, from our last segment that while it is dismal and while this is really difficult for our whole industry, this, it wasn't just the pandemic that knocked it all down, right? We were really headed in this direction. There were so many unsustainable things about the way the restaurant industry was operating, both right. in just the way things operated to the experience of the, the human resources and the people who work there, right? We, so much exploitation and abuse has been uncovered. So things have not been great. So it feels important to acknowledge that and say that this was a bit of a last straw that sent everything kind of crashing down. Right. But it's interesting that you mentioned the pivots because I wonder if that's also maybe one reason that this story isn't getting more uh, attention yeah. because mm. restaurants have, they've pivoted so well that I think it would be very easy for the average person to think that they're, they're doing okay. That's especially a, that someone, they figured it out. Yeah. Or especially someone who uh, habitually or like who doesn't actually go out to restaurants, but just, or, you know, orders That's through right. meal delivery services, which uh, is the vast, like, a lot of establishments do more than half their business from delivery, right? From yes, these uh, delivery services. So there's a lot of people doing that. And I could see how, from their perspective, nothing has really changed, right? Mm, it looks the same, really except point. now they can get booze, right? 
Um, And they don't have to leave their houses. It's actually a pretty win-win scenario for everybody, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's, of course, the alcohol delivery. There's the some, you know, curbside. A lot of early on in the pandemic, I don't know if this is still going on, but some restaurants pivoted to pop-up grocery stores. I don't know oh, if yes. you remember that to get rid uh, of you know the produce that was coming in and to to find a way to a also thing. feed people. Yeah, the the neighborhood bodega. We've all I think we've all sort of had a taste of what it's like because this this other other cities have more of a presence of this. Be it the Depeneurs in Montreal, right, or the the bodegas in New York, um, and we the, those have popped up a bit more in more cities. Here, we've definitely seen them. Um, yeah. and we've, we've seen the different role that they can play, you know, particularly the smaller restaurants that are in neighborhoods. Yeah. Either providing fresh produce or some of them providing, you know, their famous sauces or their famous, That's it. you the know, right various potato rolls for your they... burgers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that happened in terms of the pivot is meal kits. And that's one that I certainly, right. uh, have taken advantage of. Have you? It's, uh. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah. I may have made myself a pizza. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you did. That. <laughs> Remember my I pizza love, obsession. I love how sheepishly you're confessing that. That's amazing. That was my birthday present to myself. Was nice. ordering everything I needed to to make uh, pizza from an Italian And how was the pizza? It was delicious. Yes. Uh, it was from an Italian bakery, so that I knew that uh, it would all be pretty pretty solid. But. Uh, it does from the outside look like a lot of resiliency. So I can see maybe mm-hmm. why a lot of people would not realize that under all that, there's still huge struggles, right? I mean, just because you're you've switched from in 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 uh, house dining to delivery doesn't mean that your staff is any, you know, they all they're all still there. You still have to keep them safe. There's still a lot of, you know, PPE going yep. on. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, along with those pivots comes a lot of adapting and you know well and the crazy expenses totally. like now you can have a patio now you can't now you can be open now you can't now these are right. the you know yep it's been dizzying uh, and the i think th- what i've heard from my chef colleagues and pals is that all the pivots and all the little things that they're cobbling together are still only returning like a fraction of what they were making with indoor like it's not you know it's not actually uh, flattening things out right it's still they're still taking a hit there's still losses mm-hmm. it's just not complete losses it's not complete destruction right the these little bits of selling bottles of sherry vinegar and potato burger buns and stuff is enabling them to at least keep their head above the water and the lights on but it's it's just a fraction of the money of the revenue that they made from having people in their dining rooms on a regular basis yeah and you know I'd be very interested to see how fine dining is doing. You know, I know that uh, a friend of mine recently decided he just, he just really needed a nice steak and Mm -hmm. he, you know, he ordered it at one of the, you know, the the nicer steak establishments. And of course, by the time it got to him, it wasn't the right temperature and everything was off and those are cold fries. um, Yes. You know, he just realized that uh, now is not the time. For, for fine dining, no matter what no, kind of craving you have until you can actually be there in person. Totally. Um, you know, it's, it's not worth it. And I, I have been wondering, uh, I, I feel like when we think about what's next, I have been wondering if we have come too far and whether fine dining has made itself a bit irrelevant as a result. 
Mm. you know, in this process, whether we just, even our, our temperaments around when we're thinking about viruses and global survival, are we really thinking about cucumber foam? Uh, you know, and, and many, <laughs> right. many precious, many precious flights of food. Like maybe that doesn't work anymore. Maybe we need that food that's going to nourish us and keep us alive and, you know, that sort of thing. But then on the other side of it, in my mind, I think, won't we want to, when we finally are able to get back to the biggest parade of gastronomic gluttony that we can dream up, <laughs> you know, once yeah. we're finally able to, I, it, to me, it seems like it could go in both directions. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of those chefs too have changed the way that they cook during the pandemic. That's it. Um, I know you were mentioning to me that, you know, a lot of chefs have just started making burgers. That's it. Right. They, they themselves uh, like have going felt back the, to the basics. Sandwiches and burgers to feed the people outside their doors and not the people who have traveled and made reservations a month in advance and all of that. Right now, it's just like, who are the people outside here who are hungry? who needs some food, which um, it, it's kind of blown my mind to hear big time, well-starred, celebrated chefs talk about discovering the magic of shopping locally and supporting their community. Oh dear. It just, it's just, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this lesson, this lesson is right on time for you, my friend. I can't believe you've gone this long without doing this. Uh, it's so crazy. That's all my life as a chef is, is about sourcing locally and taking care of the community around me. That's all it is. Uh, it's really, really funny. But uh, as a chef, and, and I think more just about like the integrity of our craft and our trade, you know, and that sort of thing, I have been really happy, I think, to see the disruption that this has caused because we have we are overdue on a moment to re-examine what it means to be a chef. Uh, right. Hmm. It's I really think that things need things have needed to change. Um, and the idea of a chef as exclusively somebody who is in a restaurant with a very sort of prescribed activity around what they do is becoming less and less exciting and less and less relevant in this world. Uh, with, you know, our food system having as many holes and vulnerabilities as it does to so many inequities resulting in people having very different experiences of eating food. Uh, there are so many more opportunities for chefs to really connect to being champions of food and to advocating a bit more and using our celebrity and our status. These are things that I go on and on about a lot. But my, my colleagues have seen this. This light has turned on about the role that a chef can play in a, in a community um, and, and, that, and that what we do, and ideally, right, it's some hospitality is connected here somehow, that what we do is not exclusively anchored by the financial transaction that happens inside. Right. And that must be uh, fulfilling for them. I, I, I would imagine. So. I would like, to, I hope so, right? If it's not, then they just need to find a new job, right? If, <laughs> if that's not filling them up, then really maybe real estate is your answer, friend. Uh, because it's uh, it, this. This is the gold of what we do. That connection to people, that solving hunger in a, in a really acute, you know, momentary way. Uh, this is what we do. Uh, and my colleagues have often said to me when they connect, when they see the work that I do, that I somehow yeah. have figured it out. That I've gotten lucky because I actually 
serve really hungry, you know, the work that I do is about serving sick people or really hungry people or really vulnerable people. Yeah. And none of them are people who can generally, you know, go to restaurants or afford tasting menus or whatever it is. Uh, so seeing chefs make more connections to their local community and, and to have to like open the doors of the restaurant and look out and be like, all right, who's here? Who, you know, yeah. what's going on? What do we, what's our way forward? Uh, I think really great promising things can come from that. That's interesting. I've been thinking about, bear with me here, because it's yes. sort of a different side of the same Tell coin. Uh, it's occurring to me now when I'm hearing you speak. But the one thing I've been really wondering about is, you know, what's going to happen to this Instagram food culture that was all about, Ooh. you know, taking these pictures of these nice. perfectly plated food. Uh, and now for like the past year, that food has arrived, you know, shooken up. Probably yes. snacked upon, you know, Smudged the up. Yep. nowhere close to a plate. Uh, and I've seen, you know, a lot of these images are sh- are shifting to home cooked foods. Right. And like, oh, look at this. I, I don't know if the, the bread thing is still, I feel like the bread thing is over now, but you I know, think for a while is. there it was, look yep. at this, you know, this loaf of bread that I made or, or look at this. Um, and this it's, my it's, grandmother's it's, lasagna and things like yeah. that. Right. But it's, it speaks in a way to a similar shift right yes. and yes. Ag- again who knows maybe once the it. pandemic is over the chefs will go back to their cucumber mousse and the instagrammers will go back right. to taking pictures of it but maybe maybe there will be this shift and wouldn't it be cool i would love it i would love it because to me it's it's more it's just focus it's a collective focus on things that are more substantial and worthwhile right the superficial nonsense of food that just looks pretty enough to take a photo as opposed to food that actually tastes good and is going to fill you up properly uh, yeah, and, and I, connect you with your community. Exactly. Well, Joshua, it's been really interesting reading the predictions of what's next right. for the restaurant okay. industry because it's clearly, you know, in complete disarray right now. And I guess, you know, how things pick up from here is going to greatly depend, uh, as you mentioned earlier on, you know, government subsidies, what might or mm-hmm. might not be available, but also on people's behaviors, right? That's right. What's, what's going to happen next. And, uh, everyone seems to have Ooh. a different idea about it. Yes. I've heard a few things, uh, that I, the, the juiciest bit that I have heard is this idea sort of uh, taking the wisdom from the last plague that we had in the 1913, 1914. Um, Mm -hmm. and that, that the end of that led into the roaring twenties, right? Which is about the opulence and consumption and fancy dresses and the big parties, uh, and uh, a few of my uh, restaurant colleagues and I have been dreaming about that moment when we can finally get back out there. And they were like, we are going to be sabering bottles. We are, <laughs> it's going to be foie. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, across the truffles falling from the sky. We It is, you know, pulling all the reserves that perhaps did not get sold off from the sellers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, <laughs> I just realized something. We're in the 20s. We, we, it really is a real thing. It's exactly it. It could be, it could literally be another roaring twenties. That's exactly, we got nine years. In the history books. We we got nine years to, to rinse this one out. Yes. Interesting. 
Interesting. Uh, and the like, and the dresses, the party gear, like us really going for it from this schlumpy elastic waistband existence that we are all comfy. <laughs> exactly. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to make the shift back into real people I, clothes. Me neither. I, I, me neither. But <laughs> it's interesting. As, especially post-pregnancy. I haven't had to face that at all yet. So Right. I guess now, we'll see. Now, there's the other side of things mm-hmm. where there is like perhaps maybe there's like a bit of a, a PTSD response to the crisis so yeah. that, you know, other possibilities are that we actually are ushered into austerity or, you know, around and to really settle ourselves around, you know, hoarding for scarcity or, you know, just wanting to be like, don't do too much. We can't go out there or, you know, and then just being a bit afraid and apprehensive. That's it. Um, yeah. Whereas I, I don't know. I, I see that. I see how that's a possibility, but I also really know people. And people mm-hmm. to be able to be to finally pull that mask off, right? And yeah. fling it in, fling it into a burning bin on the <laughs> right, and have somebody crack open a bottle, and yet yet you revisit a non-pandemic version of yourself will be way too delicious to pass up, I think. I don't know. The predictions I've been reading have been a little bit more grounded in logistics. Okay. And okay. what the, the, so you, you were talking more from a consumer perspective, but from mm-hmm. a, a kitchen perspective, there's a lot of talk about more conscientious or more uh, awareness of uh, employee safety, which I think is right. great mm-hmm. uh, with PPE and, uh, you know, how mm. that's really been ingrained in a way and will probably stay. Uh, also a lot of talk about more automation and specifically digital menus, a lot of places, you know, for not to avoid people passing paper around mm-hmm. have switched mm-hmm. to, to digital menus. The other thing, and I didn't, I wasn't aware of this phenomenon. You're probably very familiar with it, but ghost kitchens. So the idea that there yes. would be some restaurants right. that don't actually serve on premise and just deliver. And they um, just produce food for delivery. Yep. And, you know, these are all interesting predictions, but the one thing that worried me about looking, taking a step back and looking at all of them together is that they're, they're all a step away from hospitality, right? Yes. If you, if you take Thank away you. the physical yes. place people eat, if you take away the, the, the handing over the menu and talking about totally. it and, you know, it's just something on your phone that you're scrolling through, um, these things all, and to me you know, whether it's going to be austerity or the roaring twenties, I know that the one thing I am really craving is that hospitality piece. It's just that sitting down and how are you? And let's talk about what's on the menu and let's, you know, let's have a little chat. And if you imagine precisely, right, that the, that how we understand hospitality is the relationship between guest and host. Hospitality is all about the personal connection between the humans involved. Uh, right. And, and it's, you're making me really think about the fact that there's a, there's a conflict there because if uh, on one hand, we want to preserve and celebrate an industry because of the beautiful human interaction, yet yes. the, the financial necessity is forcing us to build other systems that, that, you know what I mean? Pointedly remove that human interaction. Uh, where, what, what are, what are we going to do? That's it's, it's a bit of a self-defeating effort, right? Although we don't know where it is going, I think we all know that the industry really is going to need to rebuild in a very concerted way. If there were all these problems before and the pandemic has now highlighted those issues and gotten the industry now to rock bottom, you know, what are some of the things that we'll need to, to rebuild? 
Mm. There, that's a really great question. Um, and I, one of the things that I think uh, is really necessary is going to be just more legitimizing the industry uh, and having it be like, if this is such a, uh, an employer of such a large population of people, then why are hospitality jobs such precarious jobs? Good point. Right? Why is that the case? Why have we agreed to have a system where a large population of people all are employed very, you know, insecurely? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are those are the things that have to start to shift, um, and how we understand the role of restaurants, and that you know, even just the the I was thinking the other day about the charm of saying that servers are often, you know, actors or other creative people who haven't quite, yeah. you know, done their thing yet. So in the meantime, they're going to be a server and earn some money. And while that sounds like a really tidy way for them to, to, to run their lives, the, the, what it means on our industry is a lot of real low investment. Yes. Uh, you know, on behalf of the people who work in the industry, because they just need to be a part of it for as long as they need to be a part of it. Right. That as there, there has been an exodus of sorts and there, it may continue for another, you know, for a little while longer. But I hope that that means that we can get to a place where it where restaurant employers have to sweeten up the offer a bit more. Right. The job descriptions need to change and need to more uh, need to articulate things like inclusivity and safety and, and a living wage, uh, and, you know, and those sorts of yeah. things, because we're going to have to appeal to cooks more. Um, to get them back into the kitchen. I don't know, Josh. Now, this all sounds like policy. And considering how little the government has paid attention so far in the pandemic, I'm a little worried about what this rebuild is going to look like if the government doesn't step in. If they're not on board, agreed. There's a lot of question marks hanging over this because for sure investment and policy support, uh, I'm with you. This won't happen without that, right? So, Morella, tell me, what have we learned here? Well, I think the key message here is that the the industry really is in disarray, and there seems mm-hmm. to be very little support coming from uh, both the public and the government at this yes. stage. So, yep. a rebuild is is sorely needed, but I, I think the change is going to have to come from within. Uh, I like it, and I agree with you. It's unfortunate because... Uh, this is sort of the same spirit of things that the industry has been dealing with, but I agree um, that there's room for, and there's room for us to say, this is our industry and this is the way we want this to look, you know, uh, mm-hmm. as we move forward. And that feels really positive and encouraging. So dear listeners, it's time for your call to action here. And here's what I'd love you all to do is to, you know, in your travels over the course of a week or so, find a new small or a little family owned restaurant in your area, your neighborhood, taste their food, give it a go on the weekend for a nice meal and make a connection with a restaurateur or a chef in your community. I guarantee the beauty uh, will work in both directions there. So get yourself something good to eat, support some local restaurateurs, uh, and contribute a little bit to strengthening your community. If you are enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram at hotplatepod. 
follow me at Virology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Original music by her brother. Thanks for listening.